Welcome to Whole Complete Self Podcast, where we teach people how to live a joyful life. We are so happy that you came to join us today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Candace Miller. I'm your host, and we have Wes Johnson here with us today. Wes, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be here. Wes, I am just thrilled to have you on here, and I can't wait for this podcast. Can you start by just introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wes Johnson. I'm a, well, I'm an artist. I'm a storyteller. I'm a filmmaker. Primarily, the titles that I use and the hats that I wear are that of a cinematographer, which is basically the cameraman in the film and television industry, as well as a still photographer. So I shoot fashion, editorial, um, product, landscape, and all kinds of um, interesting images that I basically, yeah, I make images for a living. I I hide behind the camera for a living. Wes, start by telling us a little bit about your education. What got you interested in this? I know you just grew up in Arizona, kind of the wild, wild west. And what got you started in going all the way to New York? And tell us, tell us about your journey. Yeah, you know, it's funny as as we as I was kind of mentally ramping up to this amazing opportunity to get to chat with you, and I mean that. I was thinking about my life and the path that I've taken and the word unconventional just kept coming to mind. And it's like, yeah, no, I almost, almost out of some sense of stubbornness or just absolute fascination with the concept, I've always gone against the grain. I've always swam up the stream and I've always looked for yeah, the road less traveled. And it's, it's this thing that is both conscious and subconscious always kind of swirling inside of me. And so, yeah, I mean, basically, I was, I mean, like so many Americans, like virtually every American, I went to school, I went K through 12. And I did the whole experience. And as I look back, especially on on my years in the public education system, I have often said that I feel like that that system failed me. And I also feel that it also forged me. And I'll break that down. One, I think it failed me in the sense that it tries to run every human being through a very specific regimented mill and churn us all out. Because frankly, I understand it from the educational experience that, hey, we got a ton of kids here. We are just gonna. We just gotta push them out the door. That's that's our job. Let's get them out the door, and then they'll figure it out. But then, when I look back in my life, I think I really dreaded education and learning for, I would say, twenty years of my life. I couldn't stand it. I I, I did not excel in it. I I always thought that I was the the square peg trying to fit into the round hole. I I I, I felt out of place. Like truly in a lot of ways. The social aspect, that's totally different. I had amazing friends, great experiences, you know, first love and all that other stuff. But school itself, I remember I could not wait to be finished with it. I never wanted to go to school again until I was, well, you know, you have to keep going to school, right? When you, I served a mission for the, for the LDS church. I went to Denmark and we should honestly maybe discuss that a little bit 
but let me set that aside for now. But that experience really revolutionized my life, but not yet. What happened was I came back and I was going to community college at Mesa Community College and absolutely floundering, watching my friends become doctors and dentists and lawyers and businessmen. And all of these things are noble pursuits, but I did not, could not imagine myself being one of those people. Like I just, for the life of me, I'm like, I'm, I can't, I'm, I don't know. I did not know what I was. And that was the by far the most frustrating part is that I could look around me at, and see every profession and everything that people are doing. And I could think, well, I know I don't want to do that, 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 and that. But that didn't help fill the void of what in the world do I want? What do I actually want? And I didn't know for the life of me, I couldn't answer this question. And this is where I'll say that, hey, School kind of saved me in the sense because I ended up just taking some random elect electives to fill my liberal arts. And one of them was Photography 101. And I'll give the shortest version of this possible. On the first day of that class, I opened just our standard issue book and I'm thumbing through it and the teacher's talking about the curriculum. And, and I, I turn a page to a photograph that Sincerely, legitimately, literally, I mean this in every way. It, it took my breath away. I gasped and my heart stopped beating. And I had this, I had this kind of out-of-body experience or epiphany, really. I saw this image. I didn't know how it was made. I couldn't really mentally process it. It was something that was so haunting and so beautiful. I had never seen anything like it in my life. And all I knew in that moment was if I could ever make something half this beautiful, then I would be happy for the rest of my life. If I could make something that, that had half of the effect that this image, this photograph just had on me when I saw it, then I would be living my dream. And that was the next phase, which was to consciously process that, that people actually get paid to take pictures, not a concept that had ever dawned on me, ever. I'm the son of a cattle rancher. I was raised in a very conventional experience as far as like occupations. All of my friends and their parents did pretty, pretty what I'm just going to call run of the mill stuff, right? Stuff that you, everybody does. And so this concept that like, I could be like, wait a minute, I can go out, I can take pictures and people are going to pay me to take pictures. That was so revolutionary to me and so enthralling that I could not think about anything else. I applied to the three best photo schools in the country. I was accepted to all three. Don't ask me why. I had this goofy little portfolio that was whatever. But I got accepted to all three. One was the Savannah College of Art and Design. One was the Brooks Institute of Photography. Uh, and then the third one, which I ended up going to, was the Rochester Institute of Technology, where I got my undergraduate degree. And then, uh, long story short, I became a still photographer. And I focused on editorial photography, landscape photography, fashion photography. And then I hit... Um, a creative wall like four or five years into my career where I, I, 
as much as I am very much a lone wolf and an individualist, I also revel collaboration and synergy and working with people. And as a, as a freelance still photographer, you're very much on your own all the time. And I just yearn for and long for this idea of, of, of yeah, collaborating with people, with the group, having a team, having a goal and a mission and, and all like coming together to create something. And frankly, I loved movies with all of my heart and I always had. And I, I was watching the Academy Awards and a movie was receiving crazy accolades. And I ended up watching this movie. It was called Amelie, which is a French film. It's called The Fabulous Destiny of Amelie Poulain. And I watched this movie and I knew in that moment, kind of in the same way with the, with the photograph. Oh, by the way, sorry if I'm rambling, but I didn't say what the photograph was that changed my life. Um, it was a photograph by Ansel Adams. And I know that that sounds very cliched, but believe me, I've been doing this for 22 years now. So I can honestly say that that photograph changed my life. Uh, it's a photograph called Moonrise Hernandez, New Mexico. And it is the most haunting uh, image of a full moon coming up over these cirrus clouds and these, these snow-capped mountains. And in the foreground, there's this, there's this cemetery. And it's just, it's at night and it's in black and white and it's so haunting and it's so, so, so wonderful. I don't know if you can splice that back in later, but the point being, that's what changed my life. And then fast forwarding to Amelie, the photography in that film, or I should say the cinematography, was so exquisite, so voluptuous, so very beautiful to me that I basically, again, made this like decision and this is what I do, Candace. I go all in. For better and for worse, I might add. I just don't even know any other way but to dive head first, and then I figure it out. Head first into the ocean, and then we'll think about the swimming part. It's, it's, been, it's been something that has been really tough in my life and for people who love me. And it's also been something that has been extremely rewarding. So, and I want to emphasize that, like, like for this podcast, like I don't, of course we can talk about adversity and trials and stuff like that. But I also want to say that when I look at my life, when I take one step back and I look at my life on paper, I'm like, I am the luckiest human being on this planet that I get to do what I do, that I get to live the way that I live and tell the stories that I tell. I have, I have been incredibly blessed and I don't know whether it comes from within me or from without of me or a hybrid of both, but I have a fire and a passion that burns in me every single day. No matter how difficult, no matter how steep the mountain, no matter how rough the road, no matter how many, how few dollars are in the bank, or, or, or how many days have gone without a phone call to, 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 to do a job. Again, I'm a freelancer. So like, it's like, there ain't no guarantee that anybody's calling ever. And of course I generate my own work too. And that's how I help fill the gaps. But financially speaking, it's, I'm, I'm highly dependent on people calling me. I, I think that the greatest gift that I've been given, and I'm going to attribute this to being lucky enough to be born in a, in a country like the United States, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, 
to be born into a place where you can actually pursue something. Your own interest, your own dream, your own passion. Not everybody in the world has that opportunity. And also, I was born into a household that was not always wildly supportive of what I was doing, but never, ever stopped me. Never, never, never put a fist or a foot down and said, you're not doing this. And I have to say thank you to my parents for that, because again, like, even I don't understand my own decisions sometimes. So I can only imagine how my mom and dad felt a lot of the time. But honestly, like, I got, you know, I graduated with honors, with a bachelor's degree, I graduated at the top of my class in a master's degree. In my field right now, I mean, I am actively shooting, making movies, shooting big commercials for companies all over the world. And yeah, I mean, independently, independently thriving as a, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and as an artist. And I am, because the degree of difficulty in that profession is so high, I am extremely proud of it. I am, that I don't have to do anything else to survive. It's something that even on the, even on the worst days, you know, they say that like even a bad day of fishing is better than a great day at the office. Like it, I mean, my profession is so good that, that even the worst days are, are better than any other occupation I can imagine having in my life. You know, when it comes to chasing your dreams, I hear you talk a lot about this risk versus reward. And it sounded like your passion just really drove you almost to think more than what the risk was. I don't know if that is true, but I know a lot of people want to chase their dreams. A lot of people are afraid. A lot of people might not have that same backing you do of go ahead and go for it. What do you think gave you the courage to pursue your dreams? Do you feel like you don't think so much about that fear? <laughs> Maybe I just don't <laughs> think at all. Maybe there's not so much rattling around in the old noggin. No, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm also like, yeah, I think that there is a certain, it, it, it's like a, it's, it's it really like the simplest analogy is that you want to, you want to swim, but you know, the water's cold. So what do you do? You do the dumbest thing you could possibly do, which is stick your toes in the water. And instantly you're done. You've given up psychologically. You're like, uh, that was really, really cold. And now, now there's like virtually zero chance that you're going to get into that water. And then you, you might like, you might dabble up to your ankles and stuff, but that convinces you even more not to do it. And we've all been in those moments and we've all seen those people. And then they just don't get in the swim. They won't do it. It's just easier not to. And this, this has, I have a twofold answer to this. One is, I do think that in this life, you have to come to terms with the fact that you are going to die. That is the most certain thing that you could possibly accept the truth of you're gonna be dead and it's gonna happen a lot sooner than later and it's not that i'm fixated on death but i think that there is always when i talk about this fire this like sense of urgency this excitement this adventure this yearning 
this wanderlust, everything that, that just like churns through me, it comes from this place of like, hey, I might never get this opportunity again. This door might never open again, might close and close forever. If you don't take this leap, if you don't try this thing, first of all, you'll never, ever, ever, ever know whether it would have panned out or not. But you can almost guarantee that you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And oh man, the second part of the the second part of the answer is escaping me, and hopefully it'll come back. But I but I just do think that I mean it is this 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 notion to just leap without looking that drives me, and also the fact that I feel my mortality very strongly, in maybe like a weird way, where I'm just like. God gave me breath and he gave me energy today. Well, I'm absolutely going to, I'm going to run with that. I'm going to run as hard and as fast as I possibly can. And I'll say this, like if something, if something truly captures my interest, well, that's way better than something that's boring. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to chase it and see what happens. And sorry, let me let me think about the second part. Yeah, while you're thinking about that, I was going to ask this question a little later, but it's it's my keeps coming to my mind. Um, you actually posted this photo, and it was of a saguaro, and you said, "This is my doppelganger." I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, saguaro had been burnt and was kind of hungover. Oh and, yeah, and and um and you mentioned something on this post about how your journey to be a cinematographer had been full of love, loss, and triumph. Tell us a little bit about that journey and were the losses worth it? Were the risks worth it? So I was, I was doing a hike in the Superstition Mountains that day in Arizona, and they had had a really horrendous fire the season before, ravaged, ravaged those mountains. And and I hadn't seen it. And I drove up by it and it's just like, it's so funny because everybody who sees that, including me, your first, your gut reaction is, oh, this is so sad. It's so sad. Everything's dead. And you, you want to cry and it's heartbreaking and whatever. But I had, I had, I had died two years ago. My marriage ended and it was someone who I had I mean it was yeah it was it was the only woman who I had given that level of myself to and we were together for 16 years and when it ended it was it was the most literal death I lost everything including my will to live for a number of days I lost my children I, that fire that I told you about, the flame and everything, oh, it just went black. And I mean blacker than black. All I saw was black for months. I had, I had no concept of the idea of hope. <clears throat> I had no desire to do anything. And so in, in, the, in the realest way, an atomic bomb came down on my life and eviscerated everything absolutely destroyed 
my entire reality. And a lot of metaphors have come and we can go down many, many, many of these roads. The first thing that I saw was a caterpillar. Very strange, I know. But ultimately, the metaphor of the butterfly has become a huge um, analogy in my life. Uh, the other thing is the other thing is me standing in just a wasteland, a, a, a wasteland of my existence, and not knowing, and not knowing if it was ever going to be anything else. And so, as I as I stood there and stared at that saguaro, my doppelganger, I was like, hmm. I, I recognize him. I, that's me, absolutely, standing here in this wasteland, charred, burnt to a crisp. And he's all hunched over with his arms sagging down and his shoulders are slumped. And I'm like, oh, I know that position too. <laughs> Buddy, I have, I have absolutely been there. And one thing I have learned acutely in my life in the last two years is that in order to be resurrected, you have to die. And in order to make way for new growth, things must burn. And this concept of destruction and creation and the importance of both of those experiences in our lives, the deconstruction and then reconstruction of our souls is an absolutely essential experience. It's not just important. It's everything. And I realized over these last pair of years that I spent a lot of my life protecting myself from pain and suffering and change because those things scared me. And I have learned the power and the beauty of pain and destruction and reconstruction and rebirth and regrowth. I have, I have become very comfortable with discomfort. And I think it is the greatest single strength that we can forge in our lives is to, is to buddy up to pain and discomfort. Make those guys your friends, almost your best friends. Because if you learn to live with them happily, then everything else is cake. Everything else is gravy. Even difficult things become so simple when you've gone down the hardest possible path, when you've felt the deepest imaginable pain and the greatest loss in your life. Everything else is just like, oh, yeah. I love that so much. Thank you. You know, as you were talking about that, you and I, before this podcast, we were talking about really honing in on chasing your dreams and then overcoming adversity. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how chasing your dreams, people who don't chase their dreams, it's really pain avoidance mm -hmm. and overcoming adversity. People who don't overcome adversity, it's pain avoidance. Right. So the pain avoidance in not chasing your dreams is easy because you just don't do it. It's, yeah. it's by omission, yeah. but overcoming adversity. I think it's really easy. And I know you and I both have seen people try to avoid pain and, you know, not overcome it by numbing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people call it buffering. You know, I think a lot of people 
they eat or they drink, they drink too much, you know, there's addictions and it's all in an effort to avoid that pain. And as we avoid that pain, that pain builds and it waits for us. Yeah. And it's just in a closet and <laughs> we don't, we, we have to keep numbing even more to, to not want to avoid that pain or to face that pain. That's so true. And so I love that you said that because really becoming comfortable with pain is, is so huge for our growth and not only maybe professionally, like you were talking about, but spiritually and emotionally, it's huge. Oh man. In every facet, physically. I mean, good heavens, health, diet, and exercise, gracious. We could talk for an hour about that alone. Emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, of course, in everything that you do. You know, there's a principle. It's, it's in my religion, but I think it's a principle of the universe. It's this idea of opposition in all things. It's just resistance is, is, is crucial to progress. Opposition is essential to growth. We lifting weights is absolutely the the single, just like most obvious way to understand this concept. Okay, it's two things, right? It's it is it is the res, it's the resistance that that tears you down, and then your body actually rebuilds itself based on the that on that pain and on that injury, it reforges itself stronger than it was before. So you don't do anything, you lose your muscle into the, to the point to where you can literally just be skin and fat and bone. And those bones will be brittle and you will die. Or you can, <clears throat> you can fight mortality because it is a fight. And you can run and you sweat and you pant and you exercise and it hurts and it's, it's not comfortable. But you, but you learn how to, I mean, I think that anybody who has done a real exercise regimen, whether it's like yoga or whether it's CrossFit or, or running or anything in any, any, any form of real strenuous exercise where you're pushing the physical boundaries, you realize, first of all, how, how much it sucks. And then second of all, how unbelievably rewarding and even addictive it is. You know, everything's an, everything's an addiction, right? You talked about substances and, and, and those are one form of addiction, but there's also really amazing, we never call it addictions, we call it good habits, but in reality, we train ourselves to be, to move one direction or another, right? Either to the dark or to the light, either to the easy or to the hard. And, and what I have learned about this life is that the hard isn't going anywhere like it's it never backs down it never takes a day off it never leaves you alone life is hard constantly so what do you have to do you've got to be hard back you have to really really teach yourself to match that level otherwise you're just gonna you're just gonna crumble under the weight Speaking of that, Wes, when you were in these deep, dark moments where you just felt that excruciating emotional pain when you were going through the divorce and, and just other really personal trials, what helped you get through that? <laughs> I'll say this. Um, absolutely. I mean, the fact that I'm even still alive to two things, Jesus Christ, without a doubt. 
my savior and redeemer and my kids. So the only thing that kept me from really checking out of this life was, um, was the fact that I had three angels who I personally brought into this world. And I was and am absolutely responsible for, not only responsible for, but that I knew that they loved me with all of their hearts. And me disappearing or being gone from this life was not an option because they existed. So thank God for them. And then as I, as I emerged from that seventh degree of hell into the sixth, and then slowly crawled my way back out onto solid ground, you know, there became more and more reasons to live. The metaphor that I have is like that I, I literally was standing in like I had this vision of me just standing in a pile of rubble, a total wasteland. And I turned around and I saw three pillars, right? And those represented my kids. And I scraped away, I scraped away the rubble and the foundation that it was on was still solid. And that's my faith and my my religion. And then like as I was working through the rubble, this is me climbing out of hell, I found these really precious things that were not destroyed that survived like, like, like a porcelain vase that, that for no reason should have survived the destruction, should have survived that bomb, but it did. And there were these, like this precious crystal and glass and vases in China. And all these things were things like my, my love of nature, my passion for storytelling, my gifts as an artist, my desire to create and really even a, a continuation of humans who came into my life my mother and some unbelievably beautiful friends who who in every way shape and form saved me and so yeah did that answer it fairly well yeah totally and you know, I, I do think that divorce is such a is such a challenging thing. I know that we all have our challenges, right? We all get it in some sort of way. And unfortunately, that was your trial. If you have somebody right now that would be listening to this podcast and having those marriage trials, because because my husband and I were still married, but we've been married 20 years. We've had marriage trials. I mean, sure. those can be just as hard as the process of divorce, I think, you know, leading up to it. If, if you had somebody that was listening, that was having a hard time, that was considering divorce or, or just kind of in that same stage as you of going through that process, what kind of hope, what kind of message could you give to them that maybe you wish that you would have known then? Yeah. Wow. So I'll say this. And again, just this is for the record. So when anybody who is listening knows how, how it went down from, from my perspective, which was that um, I was not expecting it. I was not pursuing it. I did. I didn't. We we had real issues, real problems in our marriage and a lot of and a, and a lot of things to overcome. But I I wasn't in this place where I had remotely expected getting divorced and it all went down really, really quickly. So most of my experience has actually just been in the two years subsequent to that 
So looking back on him, I mean, of course, I mean, I've gone back in my head and told myself what an absolute failure I was as a husband and as a father in your darkest days. You're just like, oh, I deserve this because I was just a terrible human being and I was neglectful and I didn't do everything that I could have done. But that's really ultimately, that's Satan talking. I, I know, I know that I, even as imperfect as I am, I know that I did my very best in that marriage as a husband and as a father. And I now continue to do my very best as, an, as a co-parent and as a father. Uh, and, and it doesn't stop being hard. When you have kids, you know, it's, I call it the living death. Because your ex is always going to be in your life. You're in any other relationship, no kids involved. Okay, that hurts. That was hard. But goodbye. And you move on. But when there's kids and you care about those kids, you're going you're gonna, to gonna be with that person, your spouse or your ex, until, until, yeah, until 18 and beyond for all the kids. And so, so it's funny how, you know, the irony of this, you know, more work has gone into our post-marriage relationship, certainly from my end in the way of love and forgiveness, forgiveness big time, than, than ever occurred during the 16 years that we were married. So it's, it's wild. Um, but I mean, going back, I, I have friends, listen, I have friends who are struggling big time right now in their marriages. I just, I just turned one friend onto uh, a book that maybe I'll plug right now. I'm listening to it. It's called Mating in Captivity. Um, and it's a book that is for couples. And I'm listening, not because I'm in relationship, but because when I am in a relationship again, I want to be, I want to be the absolute best version of myself and I want to learn and grow from the ways uh yeah that, that I wasn't that I wasn't perfect before uh so that book's amazing and I just recommended it to a friend who is like again like in those considering phases of, of a divorce and I would say this like I think that in a lot of ways even though I ended up in divorce I think that my spouse and I had a really strong dynamic that frankly is the dynamic that I would continue to seek in a relationship in the future, which is that we had our distinct individual personalities and pursuits. And then we had other areas in which we were commonly united and we would spend time together and, and do things. And I think that it's essential in, in every relationship that you have the individual and you have the dual. And you have these, you have the ability to be alone and and experience and express yourself in uh, as an individual and that you have the synergy and collaborative beauty of, of what can happen in a, in a proper, you know, relationship. And so those are all things that I still feel very strongly about, you know, and it's, it's hard to look back and see whether I would change honestly, whether I would change anything. Of course you can say to yourself, Oh, I wish I had done better this, 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 that, and the other, but, as I look at my path in hindsight, and as I think of myself now, believe me, you did not want to see me as I was getting divorced. And for, I would say 15 months after the divorce, you would not want to look at me or have a conversation with me. I was catastrophic, but 
as I see myself now, I, I am absolutely positively the best version of myself that I've ever been in my life. Hands down, far and away, mentally, emotionally, physically, and otherwise. Um, and so it's funny, it's like, long story short, I don't want to sit here and pretend to give anybody advice as to whether they should stay in their marriage, whether they should get out of their marriage, what's the right and best possible path. Um, I will say this. Um, I was reading, I was reading a quote from um, Søren Kierkegaard. I'm Danish and I served my mission in Denmark. So Danish philosopher is a big deal to me, but he said this, he said, let me give you this friendly advice. Do it or don't do it, you'll regret it either way. <laughs> and I just thought that it reminds me of another saying that a buddy of mine has, which is no good deed goes unpunished. And I know that's, that's a pretty common one, but like the point is, it's like pain and suffering and hardship are waiting for you, whether you stay in your marriage or whether you get out. Do not begin to imagine that the grass is greener on one side of that fence or the other. It ain't. It is all hard. That's advice that I can absolutely give in full confidence. So it's going to be hard if you stay and it's going to be hard if you leave. So you need in your deepest core to know which one of those hards is the right hard for you. I love that. Wes, are you, would you consider marrying again? <laughs> are you ready to say yes or no to that <laughs> well i'll say in my usual fashion every day every day i wake up in a grave and every day i end up on top of a mountain and that means that i have a very polar experience i'm not going to say bipolar as a as a buzzword but i'm not kidding when i say my pendulum swings far in both directions so in a sense, you could call that bipolarity, but I, I mean, for me, it's, it's, more of an, an, it's more of a metaphor than a reality. It's not something that I am truly suffering from. Well, I'll say this, every morning I wake up and I do feel like I'm six feet under, and I have to have a very specific process to get me out of that and above ground. And then throughout the day, I climb and I climb and I climb and I end up in a very beautiful place at the end of every day. So the reason I say this in regards to marriage is, the answer is both. So there's moments in my day when I'm like, I'm so good alone and I, and, and I could never accomplish everything that I'm doing if I was in a relationship again, especially if I took on other kids that were not my own, how could I even possibly manage all of this? Because I'm an old man now and any woman that I would date generally probably has kids. Um, and then inevitably every single day, I have the most profound desire to have a woman in my life. It's ridiculous how powerful that urge is. And it comes from a really primal, but also a really beautiful place. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, joy is greatest when it is shared. And I spend a lot of time alone. And frankly, I have a really amazing life and like the opportunities that i have the places that i go the people that i meet i'm like 
why isn't there a badass woman who can just come and hang out with me in this ridiculously cool experience and we'll we'll travel together we'll work together we'll we'll, we'll make love we'll make food we'll watch movies it'll just be fabulous but god has got me in this place right now where it's just like it ain't happening I and mean, i don't know why i really don't know why other than other than it's not time yet so the shortest version of this answer is yes i would love to be married again but i will only marry a woman that, um, yeah, that, that that we both just have not only an incredible chemistry, but but I'll say this: I'm going to get married this many more times, one more time, and I won't do it until until I know for a certainty that that she and I are all in, both eyes wide open, for all of the right reasons. I see. Thanks for asking or answering all those questions, Wes. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, know my, I know the answers are a little verbose. I hope that's okay. No, they're great. Um, I want to talk just a little bit more about your career before we wind this up, because there's been so many amazing things you've done. Um, I just want to share, you know, post-divorce the last couple of years, I know Wes has been working on a film that was called Lamb of God. Um, it actually... Sh- was in theaters about six months ago, would you say, right? Yeah, right about that. Um, and he invited our family. We are actually, we're actually related. He invited our family to come and see it. And my nine-year-old, who is such a spiritual little boy, like was touched throughout this whole movie. I mean, he just was in tears throughout this movie. There was, um, it was basically, a, a, I would call it, a, I don't know if you'd call it a musical, you know, it's funny. Yeah, it's like it's 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 a concert film. Okay. But Rob, the, the creative art calls it an oratorio. So in other words, it is. It's like it's part musical, it's part orchestral, it's part almost operatic. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a hybrid of an experience. He performs it on stage for the most part, but he wanted to 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 make a movie version of it, which was essentially the stage performance, but having seen it, you know that we you know, we were able to take some artistic license and, and shoot it in a really, really interesting way. And yeah, of course, I recommend the movie. It's kind of an Easter film, but it's also a movie that works, you know, and especially around the major holidays. But any time of year, I think it, it's such a powerful story. It's the last week in the life of Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, whether you're of that faith or not necessarily, meaning Christianity, I think that it's an you know, it's clearly a timeless tale and it's, it's very, very interesting to me. So Wes, tell us some of your projects that you're most proud of. Oh my gosh. You know, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to, I'll say this. Yeah. For the most part, they've been movies that I've made. I spent two years um, working in Greenland on a documentary that's very, very hard to find, by the way. It was, it was made by a European company and group and it never really found American distribution. So you can't really find this movie. And yet it was a movie that I am deeply proud of and it changed my life. I mean, again, like of all of the roads we can go down, you know, my single greatest passion is the North. And so I have a saying called the norther, the better. The further north I go, the happier my soul is. 
And so for the last hmm, 15 years, I've been traveling as, as close to and as far above the Arctic Circle as I can possibly get. It is a landscape that is full of beauty and mystery and just ex visceral primal excitement that I can't even begin to describe the effect that it has on me. And I've been going to Iceland forever. I've been to Iceland 13 times. And during one of those 13 trips, I met a person who said, hey, I'm going to make a movie in Greenland. You want to go to Greenland? And I said, absolutely, I want to go to Greenland because the Greenland is not an easy place to get. And it's certainly not an easy place to get paid to go to because it's very expensive uh, and it's extremely remote. And to have this opportunity, because in my heart of hearts, I've always just wanted to be a National Geographic photographer. Like that is like, that's my dream me. And so to get to go to a, to a you know, uh, extremely remote place and to live in these Inuit villages and to basically spend all day hunting for seals and polar bear and fishing um, and, and, and living off the land and telling the stories of these people who we called the last ice hunters. It was an unbelievably special experience, indescribably every single day I dream of Greenland and getting back to that country. Um, you've never imagined what it's like to see a mountain of ice. And I mean, a literal mountain of ice floating on the ocean and the, and the effect that that has on your soul, at least the effect that it had on mine. So that's one. Uh, I've made a, I've made ten feature films, and, and I'll I'll stop rambling. But I I have a I have a I have a photograph that I'm extremely proud of that's doing really relevant and current things right now. So I I've worked with a band called The Killers for a few years now. They're an amazingly talented band that I have massive respect for, and through a fortunate series of events, I ended up doing a lot of work with The Killers. And they just released their latest album called Pressure Machine. And my photograph is on the cover of that album. And the reason that's a huge deal is that it's a dream I've always had. I've always wanted to shoot a cover for a rock and roll band. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it actually came true, I, it's, it's, the record's been out for like 10 days now. So it's super fresh. Um, and I still almost don't believe that it's actually out there. And it's my work has never been exposed to the world at that scale. I mean, it's it's all over the planet. Tens of millions of people uh, from all over the world are seeing my work. And it's attached to music that I love and I'm super proud to be associated with. And that's like that's the most current awesome thing about what's happening in my life. And other than that, I'm just, you know, I I continue to. Um, you know, I, th I don't think I had said this before in my intro, but I've been lucky enough to work for companies like National Geographic, Red Bull, um, AT&T, and oh, I, I mean, good heavens, just, just amazing, amazing companies and campaigns all over the world. And the thing that I feel so spoiled over is that I've been able to travel this unbelievably beautiful planet and see indescribably uh, just exotic, glorious, fascinating, terrifying things. And 
um, so many beautiful people along the way, different cultures, lifestyles, belief systems, personalities, all of these things have given me such a breadth of experience. I, I, I you know, I, I knew a long time ago that I wasn't going to fit within any particular mold that I had seen around me. I didn't know what I was, but as I look back over my life, I think that I have been so lucky to break out of the cubicle of life and to, to have, yeah, the adventure that, that my soul kind of always dreamed of. I love it. Wes, your depth and just your experiences has just created this wisdom that I have just basked in this entire time that you've been talking. I, I don't know if it is just beautiful. I, I really, really appreciate it and enjoy it. And I know our listeners will as well. Wes, we always try to allow our speakers just one last thing that they can leave with us <laughs> about chasing your dreams or overcoming adversity. Do you have just one last thought that you could leave with us? Yeah, absolutely. The thing, the thing that keeps nagging, the thing that planted itself in your heart all of those years ago that you never answered, that you never acted on, the risk that you never took, the dream that you never pursued, but still, still resides deep, deep, deep down inside of you. There is no reason on planet Earth not to go for it. None. It does not matter where you are economically. It doesn't matter where you are emotionally. It doesn't matter where you are geographically. I know for a fact that it is so much more satisfied so much more satisfying to fail miserably pursuing something that you desire than it is to live in the regret of never having tried. I love that. Thank you. My husband's starting his own business this year. So <laughs> there you go. There we go. He's, he's been swallowing the bullet of corporate for 20 years and he was done doing it. So that's so, exciting. So he's living, living that advice. <laughs> Scary, but we're doing it. <laughs> hey, there's only one way to do it. And that is go all the way. That's amazing. So you are, you are such a great example of that though, Wes. And I really appreciate you being with us and sharing your wisdom and just being so vulnerable with us. We all learn from that vulnerability. I know it's hard to share, but I really do appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining whole complete self podcast, where we help you have a joyful life. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.